Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest games on the blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us today is Michael Walker, football reporter for The Athletic, The Irish Times and The Iron, author of Up There, The North East, Football Boom and Bust and also Green Shoots, Irish Football Histories. Michael, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much. Today we go back to Belfast in the spring of 1975 for the Euro 76 qualifier that finished Northern Ireland 1, Yugoslavia 0. Michael, why have you chosen this game? Uh, Two reasons, really. The first is the obvious one, is that this is an historic game in the history of Irish football. It's an historic occasion, actually genuinely deserves to be called that. for Irish football and for Belfast, in a way, whenever I look back at the the state of the city. Um, There hadn't been an international match in Belfast for four years because of the troubles. Um, And for younger watchers, that's a euphemism for... um, An Irish euphemism for organised political and sectarian violence, which was um, ripping the place apart. And uh, so we... The Irish Football Association was unable to stage games um, for four years in Belfast um, after uh, 1971. And they therefore had to play away in places. So they would play home games in places like Coventry, Hull um, uh, and elsewhere. And then in 1975, Yugoslavia agreed to come and uh, and so that was like an amazing moment um, for for the city, um, for Irish football, and uh, and so the the atmosphere around the place was amazing, um, and it was a sense of Irish football coming back in from the wilderness. That's what it was, and to an extent Belfast too. Mm. Um, and uh, a sort of second less important reason, um, but obviously memorable to me, was it was my first match that I ever went to. So um, mm-hmm. uh, I went with my my dad and uh, my brother and one of my sisters. Uh, she was there as well. So um, it was so it was an important, you know, you just don't forget your first game, do you? So yeah, that, yeah. that was that was it, really. You know. Uh, it's always pleasing to keep a clean sheet as well, Michael. Right. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> well, Pat Jennings was in goal, so exactly. you know, it's, it's, that was a given. You know, I, mean, I find that absolutely extraordinary that it was your first game. Mm. That, I mean, yeah, you're right. Every, everybody's first game is really special. Mine was a very ordinary one-one draw between Sunderland and Southampton in October 1982, <laughs> and the idea that my dad would take me to a game of that magnitude. I mean, mm. yeah, the, the footage. I know the footage is pretty limited of the game. Yeah. But you get a real sense, even from what little is there, of, of how packed it was, a sense of occasion. This, you can almost sort of smell the history off the footage. So mm-hmm. for that to be your first game must have been almost overwhelming. Well, I was nine years old, so everything's overwhelming. And yet, you know, none of it registers as well. You know, so you're sort of, you know, the things that there are two things that I remember clearly about the day was that uh, at Windsor Park, then you there was a, a paddock in front of the main stand and that's where we were, which you stood on, concrete terracing, which you stood on. And you were below the pitch. So you, you know, as as a, as a small nine-year-old as well, you're, you're looking up. So you're looking up on the pitch. And what I remember is Pat Rice taking a throw in. And I was looking at Pat Rice's uh, thighs and thinking, 
look at the size of the, his thighs. And that I remember telling people for years, you know, have you ever seen Pat Ress's thighs? You know, they're absolutely massive. And that was the thing that I, and I still can see it. And I can still have that image in my head of where I was in the ground. I was looking up and, uh, and that's what, that's what's it. And the other memory I have is of the goal, mm. except that I thought it was a shot and it was a header. So my memory of that wasn't very good at all, you know, but I presume that I wasn't, you know, I presume it wasn't televised. There might have been a goal highlights on the news, you know, but it would, you know, it wasn't televised live and it wasn't, you know, so, so I didn't really see the footage until, you know, much later. Then you go back, you know, many years later and have a look at it, you know, and, yeah. uh, and the footage is, there is just the goal. There's nothing yeah. of Pat Race. <laughs> <laughs> I don't suppose you can remember, this is a, a very sort of minor point, but, I've sort of found different sources. Some say it kicked off at five o'clock and some at six o'clock. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you can remember which of those is true, but presumably it kicked off in the daytime for a reason. Well, that, that I, was, I was thinking about that. It was five o'clock local time. I presume the six o'clock refers to, to Central you know, European, European time. European yeah, okay. time. So, yeah, I, I was surprised at that because I thought it was would, be, would have been three o'clock because you know, it was a Wednesday. But presumably it was five o'clock to accommodate people getting out of work because they wanted a big attendance. Mm. Um, for financial reasons, amongst other reasons. Well, um, I, I, I but it would there have been? Why, why would it not have been seven thirty? Well, no, no, I read it was well, well, is that floodlighting or was it danger? Or what? I think it was pretty much drinking they were concerned about, and well, there was, there was there worries was, about the floodlighting. There was a reference to the floodlighting in mm. some of the in some of the uh, reports, um, but I also what you remember about Belfast then was that it there wasn't a. Uh, there was a de facto curfew, you know, people didn't go out in the dark, you know, so the game would have been over by seven o'clock. You'd have had most people home by, you know, eight or nine o'clock. And in mid-April, you know, it would have been just getting dark then. So people would have been back before dark because it wasn't, you know, especially going back to growing up there, you always said, oh, this is just, this is just normal. But actually reading back, it was far from normal. And, um, uh, and so the dark, you know, darkness. They, they'll have wanted to get the game done and finished before darkness, but also because Windsor Park's um, floodlights weren't great either. You know that was a factor, and I think that Yugoslavia wanted to fly home that night as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you've mentioned obviously the the, the troubles. I mean, you know, one has to when talking about this uh, fixture at that time period. I, I mean, the height of the troubles you could say early seventies perhaps. Um, and when the the sort of exile, if you like, from Windsor Park happened, was this because international sides requested for matches to be played elsewhere? Yeah, they just they just said we we can't go, you right. know. So you had the, you had then the British Home Championships mm-hmm. um, every year at the end of the season. So that was a big deal for Northern Ireland and for Wales, especially and Scotland, I suppose. For England, it became quite a chore, which is why it ended ultimately, I think. Um, but for but for the other football associations, it was a money-making event as well. Um, but once the troubles really began to be serious from seventy-one onwards, um, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't realistically have England playing in Belfast because of the danger of the English team being attacked. Um, so that was then. Whenever once England then withdraw, that means that. Wales and Scotland follow. So, and 
England actually made the effort and came back, you know, not long after this Yugoslavia game. And they were they so they they made the effort along with Wales. Scotland didn't. Um and England came back, but England flew in two hours before the game and flew out a couple of hours again. The whole the whole period in Belfast was seven hours. So that was in 1976, no, 1975. So mm-hmm. they were still, you know, it was still that kind of anxiety about it. And uh, even years later, whenever England had returned a few times, I remember talking to Terry Butcher about it because he had, he had played in one game at Windsor Park and he remembers there'd been an explosion you know, either during the game or shortly before the game, and he he remembers looking up and seeing the smoke, you know, you know above, you know, in the distance beyond Windsor Park, um, and that was, you know, and that that did happen. So it was, it was really unsafe, and what the IFA couldn't do was guarantee safety, mm-hmm. but they had to go to the, you know, you know that was a government decision and and a policing decision as well. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan, when we sort of reminded or informed about this it it does seem especially in this day and age in the uk it seems quite hard to get your head around this stuff but this is a very very important piece of history in 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 irish football yeah i mean i have to say i I didn't really know the details i knew there'd been a period of exile and i knew that there'd been these issues of england playing there and i remember talking to terry butcher actually before england played in belfast in was it 2005 the world cup qualifier when northern ireland won one nil yeah, I think it was. David Seven, Healy. 2007. Yeah. The Healy game? No, because it, it was under Ericsson, wasn't it? So it must it, have been 2005. I think it was 2005. Oh, yeah. was it? Right, okay. Because uh, yeah, Beckham was playing in that ludicrous deep-lying midfield role because <laughs> Ericsson let him do whatever he wants. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it was 2005. Uh-huh. And yeah, I remember Butcher sort of saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly as you say, he was warm, warming up before the game and hearing this bang and looking up and seeing the smoke. And my memory of that game and to, even in 2005, was the security was absolutely extraordinary. Even then, there was sort of anxiety. Um, and uh, England had played in Cardiff on the Saturday, I think, and then in Belfast on the Wednesday. And uh, I'd, I'd, asked, I'd said to the FA on, on, on the Saturday, what, what's the deal with accreditation? Where do I pick it up? Is there any special arrangements? And they'd blithely go, oh, no, just turn up to the ground as normal. But actually, we should have picked it up at the IFA offices at lunchtime the day of the game. So I turn up and run at this line of police. You're miles from the ground. Yeah. And uh, they sort of, well, have you got any accreditation? I said, well, no, he's picking up the ground. And thankfully, I had my MCC cricket accreditation and flashed that. And they let me through with that. I went through seven lines of police just flashing that. And so this is, this is my great claim to fame. I then blagged my way into the stadium, got into the, into the press box and found the, the press officer and said, look, really sorry, I wasn't told. The FA didn't tell me. You know, to pick it up this lunchtime and sort of very grudgingly she kind of hands it over and at the security debrief the next day I was item one me yeah so um, but anyway we've won the well done, the point. Well done. <laughs> you haven't been item one since you went on blind date of course but uh, um, going back to the early 70s if, if, if yeah. we may um, well yeah I mean I think it's worth talking about the I mean in your book you link the, the final game uh before mm-hmm. the, the exile, uh, the game against the Soviet Union. And then the fact that 10 days later, George Best plays the game at St. James's with the with the death threat. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that shows just how heightened the tensions were at that specific time. Yeah. 
Well, George Best is the, you know, was the, as Terry Neal, Terry Neal was the player manager of Northern Ireland. And as Terry Neal says, George was the obvious target. If it was going to be a death threat against an Irish footballer, it was going to be against George Best. And he plays this game for Manchester United um, at St. James's Park. Um, and he gets a death threat a couple of days before the game um, and goes to Frank O'Farrell and says, you know, you know, should I play? And, and Frank O'Farrell says, no, you don't have to. And then he rings his father and his father says, you, you don't have to. But Best made the decision to play. And, uh, um, and then talks about how fearful he was and, you know, talks about the journey from the um, the Man United Hotel to St. James's Park where he's lying on the aisle of the coach. And, and the bus had know, been broken into. And the bus had been well, broken into, so. yeah. And, you know, and the, the player, you know, best had, you know, guards outside his, his hotel door, you know, so that obviously curbed his other activities, possibly for one night. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then he goes to the, you know, goes gets to the ground and says, you know, I just kept running and running and running. And then, and they win one nil, and of course he scores. And the other players say, "Well, I'm not going to hug him, you know, because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get shot hugging him, you know." So there was, uh, there was that, and and there was a bit of sort of, was this a crank? Was this real? Um, people making a bit of a joke about it, like this here, but but it wasn't really a joke. And what Terry Neal says was that that best. Um, didn't turn up for the Soviet Union game, and he 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 implies that there'd been there'd been a, an equivalent threat, um, and so the best couldn't couldn't come back really, you know, and uh, so they play this game against the Soviet Union. Um, Martin O'Neill makes his debut, and and then and then they're told, you know, that's it. You can't this 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 country this city isn't safe enough. Um, to hold international football. So that decision, I mean, the next game, the first game that was, that was moved was, was Spain. So was that yeah. decision made by Spain or by UEFA or, or by whom? Um, UEFA, I think it was UEFA who were, you know, saying, you know, Spain, Spain can't be expected to fulfil this fixture in Belfast. So you have to go elsewhere. And the IFA, I think, understood that they couldn't do it. You know, I mean, obviously they were trying whatever way they could to get it done, but they couldn't do it. And so... The European qualifiers um, finish for everyone else in November, December. Um, and then this Spain game goes ahead in Hull, where Terry Neal is also player manager, um, in 1972. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and George Best turns up for that and they play at Boothbury Park. So it's Northern Ireland v Spain at Boothbury Park with George Best playing and, you know, in front of whole city fans. So that was the beginning of exile and that lasted for the four years. It lasted for 18 games. Mm. So if you can imagine, even in the modern day era of where there's lots and lots of internationals, um, you know, England not being able to play at home for 18 games would seem like, you know, a, you know, it would take quite a while, you know. Um, but in those days when there were less internationals, it was, mm-hmm. it, it, it it took four years and um, there were times when the IFA were lobbying UEFA to try and get to say, look, we can stage this game, you know, it should be safe now. And they just, they just, you know, the police might then say, we can't really, you know, and uh, 
but by by this time uh, in 1975 um it's they think they can and what's interesting is that the first this is the third game of that uh, qualifying group and Northern Ireland have played the first two away to try and I think again to try and um, those weren't home games played away they were they were genuinely away games so that they tried to um um delay it as long as possible so that they might be able to stage a return and um and then Yugoslavia of all associations given what happens to them agree to come and there's this kind of I mean going back to the um to the Belfast newspapers of the time, the sense of gratitude towards Yugoslavia is overwhelming. It really is. It's just, you know, and Harry Cavan, the IFA president, is, you know, saying on the, the morning of the game, you know, we will never forget your courage, Yugoslavia, and all this kind of stuff. And it's really, there were the, the squad were given, you know, uh, a government reception. You know, they were taken around the, the, the uh, Yugoslav journalists who had travelled were all, you know, entertained, and you know, so it was very. There was an, an enormous gratitude for them turning up. You know. And then there's the the guard of honour, even as they come and, on the pitch, which and, is and then, yeah. That, to me, that's the most sort of um, moving element of the footage. You know, is really um, that they at, at Windsor Park, as it used to be, the the teams walked down a sort of uh, tunnel. It was. A, an open tunnel, but it was sort of down the tunnel. And uh, uh, Northern Ireland came out first, get a big, you know, reception from 28,000 who have gone. And uh, and then they line and do form a guard of honour for the Yugoslavs to walk out. And they applaud the Yugoslavian players walking out. And it's really, you know, and everybody, I don't remember this, you know, I was too young, but but watching the sort of the response and the human reaction to Yugoslavia and to the Yugoslavian players, is it's amazing footage. Mm. All right, chaps, let's have a quick break and then we'll talk a, a little bit more about the game itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Um, so, yeah, Michael, you mentioned Terry Neal, the player manager for, for Northern Ireland and Hull City as well. He's only 29 years old. We should point this out. I mean, I mean, that's enough responsibility at the best of times being player manager at one side. But to be player manager at two sides and given all that context you've just given us about Northern Ireland, I mean, he, he must be quite the character to, to take all that on. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he is, you know, and he was. And... Mm. Uh, and he had he had that kind of there was an element of Blanche Fleur about him, you know. He had right. that kind of personality, that charisma, um, and that he had, and he was mature, you know. He had to be because he was doing these two jobs, mm. um, uh, and he 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 had also had, you know, worrying threats at Hull City. You know, he had had material through the post with wires in it and you know he talked about having to check under his car and, and and this kind of thing you know for for a period of time the he had just been lured to Tottenham um to become their manager which again you know so he's you know he's uh, ex-Arsenal you know <laughs> and goes to yeah. Tottenham you know so he was handing this is his handover game to Dave Clements who was also a player manager. He was playing for Everton at the time. So he was coming in for one game to stand in and play and pick a team and try and do it together. And um, 
And the two of them, I think, I think it was Terry Neal says it was Dave Clement's idea for the Guard of Honour to say, you know, properly to proper thanks for uh, to the Yugoslavian team. And uh, but Terry Neal was there, you know, travelled over and wanted to be there and uh, and experience the occasion, you know, um, because he had been part of the the. He had been, you know, part of the exile. He had only known the exile, you know. So, um, and it had featured remarkable games, you know, like you know, Northern Ireland drawing one-one with Portugal mm. in in Highfield Road in Coventry when Eusebio scores. Yeah. You know, Martin O'Neill gets his first goal for Northern Ireland, and the equaliser scored by Eusebio. And you sort of think, well, that's fairly remarkable. But it's just the whole thing's remarkable the, the whole way through the the four years. Um, How were they received by the clubs and by the, the locals, whether it be Coventry or, or London or, or they played or Craven Cottage and Hillsborough yeah. as well. Craven Cottage, Hillsborough, yeah. The, and Goodison Park. They, they got really good receptions. People were really understanding and the opposition, that's one of the things that Terry Neal says was that the opposition players were really understanding. They had rather been okay. playing. He quotes um, Eusebio saying, I wish we were in Belfast. You know, and uh, so there was this kind of understanding that this was this was unfair on the Irish footballers, um, but also huge sympathy for what was going on, and um, and what what sort of just to go back to the safety aspect, what strikes me is that there's this kind of perception even within people like me is that 71, 72, 73, they were the really really worst years, and and probably they were. But April, I go back to April 1975 for this game, and it, there's there's a there's an amazing um, work of journalism called Lost Lives um, about uh, about the troubles, and um, and they catalogue the, the killings. And in April 1975, there were 37 murders in Northern Ireland. Mm. There were 23 murders in Belfast. There were six people killed in an explosion four days before this game. You know, so there was, Yugoslavia had every right to say no, and UEFA had every right to say we you can't stage this game. So the there was this. It's really it's really difficult to sort of get your head around um, that the the sort of the bloodiness of the streets, and then this sort of happy occasion you know the the yeah. like the Belfast Telegraph headline is happy days are here again you know on the Thursday you know afterwards um after the game the Thursday morning and you just sort of think uh it's uh it's it's hard to fathom did Yugoslavia did they initiate this were they was it kind of out of the blue that they said no actually hang on a minute we want to be the first ones here to well in 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 very good um uh Belfast Telegraph language by Malcolm Brody. He was a famous, mm-hmm. famous journalist then. You know, he said that he said that um the Yugoslavia FA had staged a hush hush um trip to um reconnoiter Belfast, you know, a month or so before, um, by a Vasa Stojkovic of the Yugoslavia FA. Um and they had declared it safe. They thought they could do it, you know. Um and then they were obviously given these guarantees about, you know, you'll have such and such an amount of security, you know, and, uh, but that was no, you know, 
in a way that wasn't really a guarantee. As as Terry Neal said about, you know, the Northern Ireland team had security, but, you know, one of those security men was killed. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, the, the Yugoslavs, I, they, they didn't initiate it, but they were obviously, you know, the IFA were going to each respective um, uh, association for each game and sort of saying, do you think you could come? Do you think you right. could come? We think we can make it safe, you know. So that that was it, and uh, and they did, and and it really was an occasion, you know. So, I mean, I know it's not really sort of the the, the point of this, but I mean, what were the sort of expectations from a football point of view in, in terms of the qualifying campaign? Did anybody think Northern Ireland had a chance of getting there? Because you know, when you look down that team. Mm. And you side. read off the other teams they played for. You had Tottenham, Ipswich, Arsenal, Aston Villa, a couple from Forest, uh, Everton, Manchester United. There's only Derek Spence from Bury who's not at a sort of top yeah. level club. Yeah. So was there an expectation, or, or not an expectation? Was there any sort of realistic hope of of doing anything? Or I don't. I I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. But I think the the most important thing was to be there and to play. That was really. That was one hundred percent what it was about. Um, so if they had lost, people would have said, "Yeah, still great." You know, people they stayed for five. The crowd stayed afterwards, um, and they still would have stayed. I think you know, had it been uh, mm-hmm. a defeat. But they were they were a good. You know, as you say, there you go through the the, the teams that they played. They were all first division clubs except for Derek Spencer, Barry, and and Sammy. Well, Manchester United were in the second division, um, but you know, Sammy McIlroy is playing for Man United. You know, it's hardly. Um, small time um so the the players had there was enough quality there to do something but then yugoslavia had this pedigree in in you know in the 1970s that um people wouldn't have taken that for granted at all you know people would have thought you know we've got sweden that's that could be quite difficult but you know they not now win in sweden um but yugoslavia is different i mean yugoslavia you know uh um, are are going to be the hosts of the finals as well, aren't they? So um, well, I think that's only decided after they knew who. Oh, got is that them, right? So. Okay, right. Okay, uh, but yeah, but, but they they got to the semi finals, which allowed them to host it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the sort of the, the if you look down that, I mean, it's, it's largely based on Thomas Ivić's really good hide up team, who won I think three league titles in four seasons. So I think they just won the third league title, or so they're about to this season. Um, but then. Ivan Bullion, who went on to play for Hamburg, so he, I think he, I think he played against Forest in the eighty final. I don't. I think he'd gone by the time they won the European Cup. But you know, he goes on to Hamburg, who obviously were absolutely the top of the tree. And then two other players who people in Britain might have heard of, uh, Drajan Muzanić, who went to Norwich incredibly unsuccessfully, <laughs> and Hadzi uh, Abzic, who who went to Swansea. Um, but you know, it, it's yeah, as, as you say, they they they'd done well at the World Cup the previous year. They they drawn with Brazil. They did the classic Yugoslav thing of starting well, falling apart when people stopped talking about bonuses. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, Branko Oblak, who who uh, played in this game, I think he was the first ever Slovenian to play the World Cup. And I remember interviewing him, and he's very a brilliant, larger than life figure. So I tend I tended to take what he said with a pinch of salt. But the fact is, he did score a header from twenty yards in the World Cup. He mm. did get in the team of the tournament for the World Cup. Right. He he genuinely was clearly a very very good player. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. When you look back at that 74 World Cup, they topped the group with Brazil in it. 
you know, well, because so, they beat Zion, yeah, nine yeah, I know. but yes, but, even but so, they still had to draw with, you know, yeah. even so, they, you know, you know, they're, you know, Northern Ireland hadn't done that, you know, Northern Ireland hadn't, but, beat, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, so there were, so in terms of expectation, I don't think there was huge expectation, in, you know, amongst the players. Mm-hmm. Plus, you had this managerial situation where they didn't have a permanent manager, you know, so you just, I, I don't think it was about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the thing is, they actually did. They actually do very well in the group. Quite yeah. close. Yeah. So the, those two away games you mentioned, they took the lead in Norway and ended up losing 2-1, which yeah. actually is the, the killer result yeah, it is, yeah. in the end. Yeah. Then they beat Sweden 2-0 away. Yugoslavia only played one game before this game. They beat Norway 3-1 at home. And then the, you know, they win this game 1-0. So it actually ends up that they go to Belgrade for the last game. Yeah. If they won 2-0, they'd have qualified. Yeah, yeah. And you then think, well, if the penultimate game they end up beating Norway 3-0 at home, if they'd won that five nil, say, yeah. and suddenly they had to win one nil in Belgrade, and that's deeply possible. Yeah. So they weren't they weren't that far off. Although no. it ends up being four points in the end because no. they lose the game in Belgrade. It's it's within touching distance. Yeah. And 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 actually it shows and again, I I don't like the the there's a kind of attitude towards um both Ireland's that because they didn't qualify for tournaments in the 1970s, they were and with England actually, I think, mm-hmm. it, it, is that they they were just terrible teams or terrible sets of players. But they weren't. There were lots and lots of good players uh, in in all of them, and there were it was there were fractions away from you know qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then yeah you know, the 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 we we've you know, we pointed out of this team nine are first division players plus a Manchester United yeah, player, yeah. and the player who's not there. Is George Best? Yes. Who was only twenty eight, which yeah. is a thing that seems incredible. Yeah. You know, he's playing for Dunstable at the time. Yeah. But his career is already over, and you think what what could have been if you suddenly had Best in this side instead of Derek Spence? Well, the thing is, Best does come back. Best comes back and plays another few games, um, and plays memorably against Holland in Rotterdam. That's right, um, and it's just fantastic in that game. Is that where he nutmegged Johan Cruyff? Yeah. Is that the... Well, yeah, yeah. there isn't the footage of that. Yeah, sure, a... <laughs> that's what we're told. Yeah, <laughs> and then it became no, it was Johnny Rep, and then it was you know, but uh-huh. yeah, but um, yeah, that so, but he you know he was fun, fantastic regardless, and uh, and so he, had he been, yeah, it's it's a huge regret because had he been handled properly, um, at club level. He could have been so effective, um, you know, in an Irish jersey, and could have done. It, mm-hmm. it could have been really good, and he, he, he was so keen to do it as well. You know, he was really, he really tried to make the nineteen eighty two squad as well, even at mm-hmm. even at you know what, years 35 later. Thirty five would you have been better? Yeah, you know, but like imagine him at that age; he'd have still been pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um, but but Billy Bingham just didn't sort of. I think he thought the distraction of having George Best in your yeah. squad yeah, would be you can understand would why. offset the um, the positives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should uh, we should talk a, a tiny bit about uh, the, the actual game itself against Yugoslavia. I mean, it's you can't really find much footage. There's a few match reports here and there. I mean, you mentioned Derek Spence a few times making his debut. I mean, a bit of a baptism of fire playing in that game, but held his own though. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, uh, and it was a strong side. And, and from what I can gather from some of the uh, the reports and whatnot is that Martin O'Neill was instrumental uh, in in the midfield, and of course, as you mentioned, he made his debut in that match against the Soviet Union in 1971. So there he was, beginning his career in that last game before the exile. He played here, there, and everywhere other than at Windsor Park, and for him to come back, it must have been very special. Yeah, it it, 
it was. I mean, he had he had um, one of his key games for Distillery um, as a as a an Irish League player was winning the uh, Irish Cup final at Windsor Park. So it'll it'll have had a, a you know a different resonance mm-hmm. for him. Uh, and uh, he he tells his story. It must be from Highfield Road where Eusebio had swapped his shirt, and so Martin O'Neill wanted a you know a, a souvenir and. Asked him for his shorts, and and you say we'll give him his shorts. <laughs> so, uh, 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 so it, yeah, was whenever you look at that, you know, someone like him playing, you know, it's just he, he was so good. He was so good then, and then he became more and more influential as as the captain and as the spokesman of the team and as the you know the engine, and he became the emblem of the team then along with Whiteside and others in 82, you know, so he, his, he was, he was quite young then, you know, and, uh, and it was also, he was also, um, well, they were all very aware, all the players were very aware, aware that they were coming, that the team was formed from two sides of the community and that whilst the crowd will not have been formed from two sides of the community, um, the team was, and that was, um, and they were all very aware of that, but they were also very aware that that after the game they went separate ways. They went into their own areas of Belfast or wherever, and and that was the, the there was a there's a real sadness amongst them about that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we should we should talk about the goal that wins. Yes. Northern Ireland win one 0 I'm not sure we mentioned that yet. Yeah. Northern Ireland <laughs> win the game one 0 yeah. uh, I mean, the goal is is a very a very British goal. <laughs> <laughs> a deep corner. Alan Hunter wins the header at the back post, back across goal, and Brian Hamilton nods it in from about six inches. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, it is. It's just a very bit. Well, it's a goal scored from a corner. And how many times do people, to club fans, say we never score from corners? <laughs> you know, it's just constant from every single club supporter. Um, so yeah, it's a very you know, it's a it's a routine goal, and uh, and you can't imagine Yugoslavia being pleased with it. But um, and then then they had a couple other. Derek Spencer won disallowed, didn't he? So uh, for offside, um, mm-hmm. and it sounds as if. No one played pretty well and held mm-hmm. their own. And uh, but then I read one comment from a Yugoslavian journalist who, who was saying that uh, they had played like amateurs. So and uh, they the insinuation was that they had been overwhelmed by the occasion, whereas mm-hmm. the Irish players had been inspired by it. They had been a bit overwhelmed by it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would encourage people to look up the footage because even in sort of a, a minute on YouTube, you get a sense of you have know, this sort of higgledy piggledy stadium you know it's it's not a sort of cohesive stadium there's bits here and bits there and just people just people everywhere yeah. you see how packed it is and the fence appears to be it's not like a normal football fence it looks like like wire or something yeah the kind of it was, like yeah. you might get on around a like a military establishment or something just sort of these <laughs> these concrete pillars and the chicken wire going up yeah so it's a uh, and even that stand behind the goal, it only sort of goes halfway along, and then it's sort of the next bit's roofless, and you get that that great sweep of the corner with just just thousands and thousands of people. So even a quick glance, you get a sense of the occasion and just how many people there were there, and how everything was sort of on top of the pitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. It's it's an odd it's an odd ground. You know, it, you know, it's much. Obviously, it's been reconfigured and reconstructed now, and. Um, 
but it was it was then it was just open you know like so many grounds you know across england and scotland you know it was just it was just i know this the spang cup which is the opposite end to where the goal was scored that was the, the railway end is where the goal was scored um you know that was the sort of where all the you know that was the the cup was where the noise came from and that's where whenever you see the footage of the the players um walking out that's in the background there you know so that that was sort of as i say that that was the noise was from there and i i assume michael that this game is remembered very fondly by uh certainly some people in northern ireland because of just because of what it meant to them i think I, I think it is. I think it's um it's 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 hard to it's hard to gather whether fondness is the right uh, right word, you know, whether okay, it's yeah. you know, uh, um whether it's a, considered a landmark politically yeah. and in sporting terms or you know, there was still that yes, this was this was the end of something. That's mm-hmm. and possibly the beginning of something. That was that was I think that was the the feeling um and as it turns out, it was the beginning of something because gradually teams would return um, and came back and they were able to play. And it was by and large safe, you know, it, it, as as um, Terry Neal phrased it in the compound of the ground, which was mm-hmm. quite a, a phrase, I thought, you know, uh, it was safe there, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It, I, I think it's more important um, historically uh, for the occasion, you know, um, uh-huh. and that that's that's what it will be, you know, recalled for is that it, you know, not the result, you know, it was the fact that I was re- I was reading whenever uh, it was the, the English uh, rugby player John Pullen died last week or whatever, and he had, he had led the English team to Dublin to play and and it, and, and had made a famous speech said at least we turned up, and that was that it was all about being there. It was all about turning up, and because people hadn't, you know, and all reading all of the um, the previews to it and then the reviews afterwards. It was just about that, you know. We are we are grateful to Yugoslavia. Let's give them a rousing welcome, and then thank you, Yugoslavia. We will never forget you. You know, it's all that. That was the language, um, and it, 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 thank you for bringing us out of the soccer desert. That was another one, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it it was about that. It was it it was the landmark occasion uh, as opposed to anything else. Um, Obviously, for the players, it was it was about it to some extent winning the match. Michael, it's been a pleasure chatting to you about this. Thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, for for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great game from uh, the history of football. Uh, but until then, thanks very much, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, thank you again, Michael. See you next week, everybody.